Brother Adam and Sister Gina, they uh, headed up our kids and our uh, young adults being able to go to Youth Congress this year. And from what I understand, it's just you can't even look on Facebook without it being pounded with uh, AYC information and worship and announcements and, and just the great things that were happening. And I want to thank them. Could we uh, recognize them and thank them for putting that together? Praise God. Uh, that was almost a two-year fundraiser. I noticed whenever I'd go into the youth class, I'd see banks and fundraisers going on for this. And, and it doesn't just happen that they're able to go and spend three nights at a hotel and uh, without there being great expense. And I, I want to thank them and all that went. Uh, Sister Hannah and uh, Sister, uh, Sister, Aunt, not Sister, uh, Sister Vanessa uh, also went. So thank them as well. Amen. I get those sisters mixed up sometimes. Amen. So we're thankful for them being able to go and uh, just the, the great move of God. Uh, we just uh, we are excited. I, I think that the United Pentecostal Church is headed in the right direction. When you can get 35,000 young people and young adults gathered together in a stadium worshiping Jesus Christ, I think that we're headed in the right direction. Amen. I think the church is in good hands. Praise God. Amen. And I'm just so thankful for the blessings of the Lord. Thankful for the friendship of Brother Micah Hill. Uh, he's always been a blessing to our church and continues to be. And I want him to take his liberty in the Lord and preach. Amen. I want you to preach with him, but I want him to preach with a liberty. And I want the Holy Ghost to speak through him. Amen. Let me say this real quick. When I have uh, a friendship with a man that's going to be coming, or if I know they're going to be coming in the future... I do not weight them down with any kind of personal issues or mainly issues of the church because I want them to stand behind this pulpit with integrity. I want whenever they, he says the Lord told me or the word goes forth that it is not me chirping in his ear or complaining about anything, but it is an authentic move of the Holy Ghost. It's authentic word of God. Amen. I can assure you, I can assure you when the man of God stands behind this pulpit, that they know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified when it comes to the body of Christ. So when He begins to preach, and I want Him to be under the unction of the Holy Ghost, I want you to receive that word. Would you do that? In the name of Jesus, clap your hands to the Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm opening my water here. I need it. My God, what a powerful <laughs> presence of God that I already feel in this house. Amen. And uh, I'm so thankful that you're blessed with a music ministry that knows how to usher in the presence Amen. of the Lord. Let's give them a hand, can we? They deserve it. They work hard. They pray. They fast. I know they spend hours practicing. And I'm so thankful that for the talent and the abilities that God has blessed this church with. And uh, I am, I'm thankful to be here. I, my family is not with me except for my little guy, Dawson. Dawson, are you ready for your uh, special? <laughs> we didn't talk that over. We didn't. <laughs> I just thought I'd have fun putting him on the spot there for a second. What's going on with these Shellheart boys, man, that, with the crossing girls? <laughs> well, they're good kids. I, I say kids. Listen, he said young adults was at Youth Congress. I was there, so that, I guess that makes me a young person still, so even at almost 39 years old. But, uh, boy, that'll make you feel old when you go to Youth Congress, and your kids are there as youth now. So I got two, you know, I got two teenagers, so that's, that's really uh, uplifting, you know, make you feel really good. But uh, it's, uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Brother Crossan, so kindly. Um, I love coming here, and I always appreciate your pastor and his family. There's not a kinder group of people on the face of this earth than the Crossan family. That's right, give him a hand.
he entrusted me, it seemed like from the first time he met me, uh, and I was honored. This was, I don't know, man, back in 10 years, 2007, 8, 9, 10 years ago, time just flies. And, uh, and it's, it's about to come to an end here pretty soon. And, uh, but it's just really, I mean, when, it, when I say come to an end, I mean life on earth. You know, all your sickness and all your pain, that's what I'm talking about. Because really, it's just going to be get, uh, getting ready to start. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm awaiting that day. Um, it, it just, it surprises me the lack of joy in, in, in believers' lives, you know, like they have it really bad. And uh, it, it reminds me of a story uh, a man told me. That um, he, he said, I, I, when I bought my house, he said, I, I, um, I picked out a color of siding on my house. He said, that was a common color. He said, because if I ever had to change that siding, he said, I, I, would, I wanted it to be easy to replace it. I didn't want to pick some color that was like, oh, we no longer have that on the market. He said, just give me something that's just, you know, stood the test of time, just a common color. And so that's what he put on his house, a very common side of uh, color, common color side, uh, siding, and uh, sure enough, the day came, they had a big hailstorm, and for some reason, the garage took the, 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 the brunt of it, and all the, the rest of the house was fine, except for the garage, he had to change the siding on his garage, so he's like, I went down to the uh, store, Lowe's, and he goes, I, I picked out that same color of siding, he said, and I had kept that, 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 the name of that color, the number, you know, and, he, and I got the same exact color. He said, I took the week off work. He said, I put it on the garage. He said, and uh, he goes, then I had some other things to do. So I was in the garage working. He said, took me about half a day to do it. He said, my wife got home from work. And normally she pulls in the driveway and just goes right in. But this day she pulled in the driveway. And when she pulled in the driveway, she got out. And she was just standing there by the car. And he said, she kept going like this. She'd look at the garage. Uh-huh. And then look over at the house. Right. And then she'd be back at the garage. And she'd be back at the house. And he turned around and she said, you might want to come out here and look at this. He said, what? Did I not put it on right? And he goes, what's going on? And she said, well, just come and look. He said, I hadn't stepped back and looked at my work yet. He said, I just put it on and went in. He goes, I knew it was the right color. He goes, I made sure of it. He said, but as sure as the world, he said, as soon as I step back and begin to inspect it, he goes, I noticed that the siding on the house was just, uh, this is t- being friendly, a few shades lighter than the, than the garage. And it was totally offset. And he said, because what had happened was, common sense, he said the sun right. had faded that siding to a different color than what the siding, and it was really supposed, it was born out of the same factory. I mean, it went through the same process of the coloring process, went through the same stuff, but because the elements of life had faded it, it was a completely different color. And immediately the Lord spoke to me and I got out my phone and I'm writing this story down and I'm trying to hide it so I don't want him to think I'm crazy because it's just a story about a sighting. Why would I be writing that down? But God gave me a lesson from it. And he said, that's why, that's why people that have been around the church for a length of period of time, he said, sometimes they don't like growth and revival and new converts. He said, because the new and fresh convert will reveal how much their joy has really faded. And nobody notices the fading of their joy until they put them right next to a new convert, and then the new convert makes them look bad. I'm here to tell you, I don't want no new convert making me look bad. I don't want to be like an old piece of worn out siding that's faded from the elements of this life. I want to be as fresh as I was the day I got the Holy Ghost. We ought to have more joy. We ought to have more victory. We ought not let the new people outshine us. We ought to be, come on, we ought to be fresh. We've got the same Holy Ghost that we had when we nailed it at an altar the first night. It ought to be stronger. It ought to be greater than it ever has been. So 
So look at your neighbor and say, don't be like an old, worn-out sighting. Old, washed-out piece of sight. Romans chapter number 6, starting with verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also, in the light, uh, we shall also uh, be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. I charge thee therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. This is, this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. And he, he's writing a letter to Timothy trying to encourage him. Because Timothy was facing a, a season where they just didn't want to hear it anymore. They just turned their ears away. And, 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 and Paul's being encouraging here to Timothy saying, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall, uh, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The word truth is singular. But the word fable is pluralized. Fables. There's a million ways not to do. There's only one way to do. There's a million ways not to go. There's only one way. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Paul's writing to Timothy was direct and to the point. Proceeding his charge in chapter 4, he makes grave warning. In chapter 3 concerning what to expect in the last days. And Timothy was getting a little bit of a taste of this. But Paul was looking at Timothy saying, look, as time goes on, these things are going to be more prevalent than they are even now. He said, and I quote, in chapter 3, preceding his charge in chapter 4, which I just read to you. He said in chapter 3, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and ever able to become, come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, 
Jonas and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, I know it sounds like you're not going to get to shout, but trust me, you will. I know it sounds like I'm heading down a path that's kind of negative, but, but this is the Word of God. I don't think there's anything negative in the Word of God. Even if it sounds negative, even if it goes against the grain, even if it's things we don't like, it's good for us. We need to hear it. I need to be preached under conviction under the pew. We need more preaching in the pulpit that preaches people under the pew that said, God, change me. Help me to be uh, uh, more like you and help me to long after things like uh, uh, of you and your kingdom. Thou hast... But, uh, uh, Men, they did also, they withstood Moses like these men resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be made manifest unto all men as theirs also was. He is talking about people that was in the midst of believers. He said, uh, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He didn't say people that love pleasures and they don't love God. He said people that love pleasures more than they love God. So there is a group of people that have some sort of love for God. I mean, they, they love Him. They, 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 don't, they don't wish ill upon the church. But they're not sold out and faithful to the church either. And he said they're not going to proceed any further. They're going to be made manifest unto all men. I don't care how many people push against you. Those few of you that are here for revival will see it happen. You will see it come to pass. Don't worry about the people that don't want it. There's always going to be a few that push against the people of God. But they will proceed no further. Said, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life. Uh oh. You've known my doctrine and my manner of life. Does your manner of life and your doctrine coincide? I told you and I said it this morning. You cannot be convincing to people unless you're faithful. You better make sure if you want to have an impact in your world, you have the right doctrine. Thank God. But you better have the right manner of life to coincide with that doctrine. Because people are watching you. People are watching everything you do and everything you say. You, you better pray every day, God, give me the strength to live like I preach. said, you know, in my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and thou hast uh, been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, he wraps up chapter 3, is given. By the inspiration of God. And is profitable. For doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be made perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. From here. We see. His last and final chapter. In his charge of chapter 4. When he said. I charge thee therefore before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. You know what he was saying to Timothy? Just keep preaching, Timothy. Whether they listen or whether they don't. Don't change the message, Timothy. You preach the word. You've known the doctrine since you were a kid, Timothy. You grew up on the pew, Timothy. You don't give up, Timothy. You keep preaching. I'm here to tell you, there's so much pressure from the congregation to the pulpit to change the message based on what they want to hear. But I'm thankful that God has put leadership in this place that will not back down from the truth, that will just keep preaching and just keep going. Whether you like to hear it or whether you don't, it's the only message that delivers. Whether you shut your ear to it or whether you've opened your ears wide and say, God, convict me. It is the only message that still changes lives and still sets the captives free and still breaks the chains of sin that you're... I don't want some watered down doctrine. You give me something that's going to set me free. You you give me something that's going to be ever changing in my life. He told them earlier in his writing to Timothy. I think somewhere around chapter 2. He said to commit what I've given you. Commit thou unto a few faithful men. I'm so glad. No matter how many people are pushing against what thus saith the word of God. There's always going to be a few. That says, oh yeah, pastor, preach to me. I'll take what you give me and I'll go. I know a guy at school. There's always going to be those few kids, you know. You're going to have a youth group sometimes. And I'm not talking about here. I'm just talking about in general. Sometimes it seems like the young people, they don't, it goes in one ear and out the other. And sometimes they're not even interested. But I'm telling you, you're always going to have a few of those crazy kids that say, I believe it. I believe it. I I believe it. I want to make a difference in my world. You can don't don't let the ones that don't want to hear Timothy don't let them discourage you. You remember there's always a few. There's always a few. There's always a few. And I'm telling you, that's all it takes to turn the world upside down. Jesus did it with 12 of them. I said the multitudes walked away, but Jesus took 12 men and turned cities upside down. Don't worry about it, Timothy. You still got a few. Don't worry about it. You still have a few. There's nothing that weighs on a preacher's mind more than to think he's preaching to a deaf ear. You don't believe me? Ask Noah. By the time it was all said and done, that door was shut. It was him and his family, his sons, their wives, and his wife. Eight people. Everybody else shut him out. here to tell you I don't care how many I don't care if the multitudes turn away and say I don't want to hear it don't preach to me there's an ark of safety for you and you ought to you got to make a choice whether you want to be part of the multitudes or whether you just want to be a part of the select eight people 
I promise you, if you can't make that decision now, as soon as that door shut and the first raindrop, they were regretting their decision. Honey, you can live in sin for a season, but the first sign of rain, you're going to be regretting when you hear the door shut. Word of God is the most powerful thing on the planet. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goeth forth be out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whitherto I sent it. Somebody is going to get the Holy Ghost. Well, not me. Maybe it ain't you, but somebody will because the word has been come forth and it will not return unto him void. It's already been spoken. It's going to happen. For as the rain cometh down and the snow. Well, wait a minute. The rain is in the spring and the summer when everything's living. Well, what about the times when everything's dead and seems hopeless? Oh, yeah, my word's like the snow, too. Well, you don't understand. I'm living a time in my life. Everything's falling apart. Oh, well, you gotta, you, you got to understand this one thing. The word is going to drift upon you like the snow from heaven. I don't care if everything seems hopeless and dead around you. The word of God is just as powerful in your tough times. The word of God is just as powerful when everything's dead and hopeless than it is when it's alive and everything's going right. The word of God is just as potent. My wife just left me, but I've got the word. I just lost my job, but I've got the word. I've got the word. I've got his word. He cannot fail me. He said it would give seed to the sower. And bread to the eater. See... It's not that we don't have enough seed. And it's not that we don't have enough bread. It's that we sometimes fall short of sowers and eaters. But I'm glad that I'm in a church that is full of people that know how to sow the seed that they've been given. And they know how to partake of the bread that's just been served up to them. I said we can't blame it on God. His word is just like that. But it's only giving bread to the eater. If you're not an eater, you can't blame God. You've got to blame your own appetite. I, I pray God give us a church full of people that's hungry after him. Says I can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Preach to me. Preach to me. Tell me what I need to do. I need it. I need the seed. And I need the bread. So I could preach not just to the pastor of this assembly. But we all are mission to go out and to reach people. But sometimes it feels as if we're talking to a deaf ear. And the resolution that the ch some churches come to, if you want to call it a resolution, it doesn't resolve anything, is to adjust their message to what they want. They've become like you know, like a Burger King church. Have it your way. Well, we, 
I don't like how you preach that. Okay, well, what, what, what do you think? Wrong question. Well, sister, what do you think? Who cares what sister so-and-so thinks? You need to hit your knees in prayer and say, God, what do you think about all this? They brag because their entire church gets behind them. These, these cats on the TV that have thousands, thousands get behind them. They think they're doing a big work. The Bible said if the blind leave the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. Big deal. Carnality leading carnality. They bring in these doctrines about, you ever seen this? I saw it. Uh, well, we just need to love them. And I'm not preaching against love, but just give me a second, okay? I'll qualify what I'm getting ready to say here in a minute. But they, that, that, that spirit, oh, we just want to love everybody and everything's okay and it's okay. You want to live this lifestyle? That's okay. We love you. I'll tell you something. We love the sinner. We don't like the sin. <clears throat> But that, that spirit's gotten in the world. They even make sure it's more love, less hate. That's a bunch of malarkey. Let me tell you something. We have been taught, and we have... I've, I've even heard it preached on. You know what the opposite of love is? Most people say... I won't ask you. I won't put you on the spot. You just tell me what you think most people say. What's the opposite of love? That's the farthest from the truth. The opposite of love is not hate. In fact, they have to exist simultaneously, one with the other. The Bible said, no man can serve two masters. He'll either love one and hate the other. They exist simultaneously. We think hatred is of the devil. More love, less hate. Bunch of malarkey. No, no, no. We need more hate in the church. No, because uh, hatred is of God. We think hatred is of the devil. Hatred is of God. Every, it's just an emotion. It's just an attachment, a detestment. Hatred is of, hatred was a God idea. The Bible said in Proverbs, six things doth God hate, yet seven are an abomination. And to top the, the list topper is a, a proud look. God said, I'm the original inventor of hate. So what's the difference? What makes hate wrong? It's the object. You hate your brother, you need help. You, need, you hate someone because of the color of their skin, you need therapy. But let me tell you something. When you learn to hate what he hates, you'll fall in love with what he loves. Don't preach love unless you're willing to preach. I hate separation. I, I hate separation from the body of Christ. I hate division. I hate people that stir up strife. I hate those things. Why? Because I can learn to love souls. I can learn to love with a godly love if I learn to hate what he hates. But you see, it's the object. Hatred is a good thing if the object is in line with what he hates. And I'll flip it over. Love can be terrible. Because Jesus said, love not the world. So don't preach this watered down doctrine. More love, less hate. We need more hate in the church. I need a church full of people that says I hate strife. I hate division. I hate people that run down other people. I can't stand that spirit. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Why? Because I love souls. I love his kingdom. I love, I love, I love, but I love what he loves. You ever heard someone say truth hurts? Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Freedom never hurt anybody. Stephen told the Sanhedrin in Acts 7 and 51, he said, you always did resist the Holy Ghost. 
and it made their blood boil. Why? It's not truth that hurts. It's your resistance of truth that is the culprit of the pain. You know what you do? You just go with it. It's what my dad always taught me. My dad said, if someone grabs you by the hair of the head in a fight, he said, the automatic response is people want to pull away. He said, don't pull away. Just go with it. Because it's the resistance. If I, you're pulling my hair, I'm pulling back. That's twice as much. Just I'm just resisting. It hurts. He said, you just go with it. You know electricity works that way? You can have all the amps in the world going through something. And your voltage would be weak because of resistance. We just need more power. No, we don't. We need less resistance. Because the Holy Ghost told you, why don't you just do a little jig out in the aisle? Why don't you just get out and get, let yourself free? And you resisted him. When you resist, I wonder how much power would exude from someone that said, you know what? I'm sick of resisting. I'm just going to go with it. I'm sick of resisting what the power of God. I'm just going to go with it. I'm telling you, you'd have enough voltage to electroshock this church into the biggest revival this town has ever seen if you just not resist the Holy Ghost. Anybody willing to go with me? Anybody willing to stop resisting? Stop resisting. You take the resistance out. You'll have enough voltage of the Holy Ghost to raise the dead, to heal the sick. It's not a lack of power. off my notes I'm sorry we we live in a day where people expect God to adjust his principles to fit their lifestyles they, 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 they do they want heaven they, they, they really fully expect God in the name of love he loves me so he accepts me as I am and expects no change. Now it sounds crazy to some of you. I'm glad it does sound crazy to you. If you, if you thought in your mind, well, that sounds crazy, great, I'm glad. But if you thought, well, what's the big deal? I'll pray for you. Well, that's what my grandma's church... Do you know why? You know why when Judas sold Jesus out? That it was commanded of the other 11 to go find a 12th? In Revelation 21, 14, John the Revelator reveals the blueprint of the New Jerusalem. Having twelve foundations with the name of the twelve disciples in them. The twelve disciples were foundational in the birth of the church. Hence a mirroring effect in New Jerusalem. Twelve foundations. Twelve disciples. Watch. When Judas sold Jesus down the river for 30 pieces of silver. He went and hanged himself. The disciples went from 12 to 11. In Acts 1, 20 through 26, it tells us that another disciple was to replace Judas, which was Matthias. Why? Because the blueprint of heaven and the blueprint of New Jerusalem had already been laid. And now there's 12 and now it's off. And he has one of two options to make them equal, to make them balance. I can change heaven... Take away a foundation and make it 11. Or 
I could get old Judas replaced. And he said, Well, heaven didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to change the design of New Jerusalem because earth saw sin and a mistake was made and someone decided to jump ship. That's earth's problem. Earth, I need you to get another disciple because your life needs to match heaven. And I'm not about to adjust heaven and what I made in heaven to match your failure. But I will give you a period of grace to go find number 12. Let me tell you something. Your life's in disarray. But don't ever, be th- don't ever think that God is going to adjust his principles to fit your life. But he will give you a grace period of time. So go find number 12. Go find number 12. Get yourself back to mirroring heaven again. So that's what they did. They went and found Matthias. And now everything was just the way it was supposed to be. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Water down grace to just accepting your lifestyle. But grace grants you the power to change and to bring you up to heaven's standards. I don't know about you, but I think it was crazy to think that the law was written, don't do this, don't do this. this and, and, and this is sin and this is This is right. And man couldn't overcome it. And I'd have a hard time thinking that the plan of God was, I'll just give myself as a sacrifice so that I can enable them to do that. No. I'll give myself as a sacrifice so I can give them the power to rise above that. People have missed the boat big time. When they talk about grace and water it down to I just can live like I want and you know other I know we can go to the other extreme too and talk about the law and hold people so strict and so rigid that we have no forgiveness and no mercy. I, I understand that. Let me tell you something about the law of God. God's laws are unique in the respect that according to James 2 and 10, it only takes offending in one point to be guilty of all. You understand there's no other law that's designed that way. It says if you offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. I promise you it's against the law to murder and it's against the law to go 75 and a 65, uh, 50. Someone got a ticket recently. (laughs) You know who's been stopped by the red and blues lately. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Listen, if you get caught speeding, I promise you, you won't get press charges for murder. No other law is designed that way. Where if you offended one, you're guilty of it all. None. Zero. When there's no law that is designed to where if you do one thing, then you're sentenced for the other, all the other ones too. 
God's law is unique in that. On the other side of the token, it is also unique in the respect that all you have to do is keep one. And you get credit for the rest. What's that? Love God. If you fall in love with God, you'll, in, you'll allow grace to be enacted in your life to live the way He wants you to live if you fall in love with Him. So people we say that have a problem, oh, they, they got a problem with this or they got a problem with this certain standard or they got a problem with showing up to prayer meeting. No, no, they don't have a problem with any of that. Here's what they have a problem with, loving God. Because if you love God, everything else will fall in place. Everything else. I want to live right. I want to show up to every prayer meeting I can, possibly. I want to look holy. I want to live righteously. I want to live above this world. Why? Because it's through my relationship with Him. It's not a set of rules. It's not just a law anymore. It's relationship. Fact of the matter is, people that have a problem with falling in love with God, you know it very quickly. Because they have a problem with someone speaking unto them instruction and correction. Oh, yes, they do. Because a wise man will receive counsel. Where does wisdom come from? From the Lord. You can't spend time in the presence of the Lord and not become a wise person. A wise man receives counsel. Because a wise man will know. You ever known someone that think they have all the answers? They think they have all the answers. A wise man knows better. A wise man is not someone that has the, all the answers. A wise man is someone that can step back and say, I know I don't. They refuse to receive instruction. God gave me a dream. Saturday, May 16th. Saturday, May 16th. Somewhere in the middle of the night. 2015. God gave me a dream. This message was birthed out of that dream. At first, I didn't even know the dream was from God, and I didn't even understand the dream. I didn't even know it had any significance. I didn't know God was even trying to show me anything through this dream. Until later, the next night, I went down to visit my brother's church. And after church, we went out to eat, and I was in a conversation with one of the ladies in his church. Sister Roxanne's her name. And I said, Sister Roxanne, I was sharing with her and a few other people at the table about this dream that I didn't know what it meant. And it was something that Sister Roxanne said. And you, uh, you would think that I would remember specifically what she said because this was such a, an impact on me. But I don't remember what, what she said. But whatever, something that she said triggered that the dream was more than just a dream. That it was from God. And the dream was this. The dream was I had walked into a church. And the church building was no church building that I had ever been into before. It was a church. It wasn't. Like I didn't see this church or I didn't even see my own church. I just, it was just a church. And, and I didn't know it at the time. But I believe God showed me that so that I didn't confuse the meaning of this dream as if it was supposed to be for a particular assembly. Because the church that I was in represented the church as a whole. Not 
this assembly, not the assembly where I go. No, the church as a whole. That's what God was trying to show me. That's why he didn't let me recognize the building. There was no one in the church. Somewhere in my mind, I was thinking I was walking in, getting ready to start service in my dream, but I thought, I think service was getting ready to start. But the dream was so short and concise, and so it, it didn't, I don't really know exactly what, what was going on in that dream, but I think that was like service was getting ready to start, I thought so. And I was the first one in, and when I got into the building, all the pews were turned backwards. And I remember the, the, the next morning waking up. Honey, I had a dream last night. Oh, what was it? I walked into the church and the pews were backwards. Wow, what an exciting dream. I, I, I thought that was an odd thing to dream. Sister Roxanne said something to me that night that made it all come together and helped me to understand that it was from the Lord. And this is what the Lord was saying to me. He was saying to me that we are now entering, we've entered into that time that Paul wrote to Timothy about in, four, in chapter 4. We've reached a time where the church have turned their ears away from the pulpit. And their eyes are gazing out into the world. And they have now turned a deaf ear from the truth. I'm not being gloom and doom. I promise you I'm not. I'm just being realistic and, and giving you reality. In our day and age, there are far too many people that have the pews backwards because they're in the house of God. They go to church. They're, 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 they show up because it's just routine at this point to them. But they're not really sold out to the word. They don't really want to hear it anymore. But they go, maybe it's to pacify their conscience. I don't know. But they have the fuse backwards and they have turned their ear away from the truth. And God spoke to me very clearly at that point. He said, you, start, you, you need to pray for the church that they get the pews turned back around. And they open their ears to the preached word of God. And the truth needs to go forth. It's the only message that will deliver. Don't turn the pews around. Something that my brother who pastors that church there in Spencer, Indiana said that night took my attention to Acts 7. And God began to deal with me about Stephen's defense in Acts 7. Stephen's defense against their accusations of blasphemy against God, Moses, and the temple was very simple. He never one time tried to defend himself as a person. He only defended what he knew he could defend because even he himself probably saw his shortcomings. Like, I probably have made mistakes. I'm not even going to waste the time to defend myself, but I can defend something that well, I know stood the test of time. And he began to defend the truth of God's word. His defense can be summed up by the fact that they were guilty of the very thing that they were accusing him of. He could have looked and said, no, you're the blasphemer. You're accusing me of this. But he could have summed up, but he did not. He didn't waste his time. He just defended the word of God. He called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. He began to go back into the history and he began to look at all the men that had turned their back on the truth. And he said they did it in the, in the old days. And you're just like your forefathers. You always do resist the Holy Ghost just as your forefathers did. And now you've hung him on a cross because truth is a person. And you always did resist him. And he begins to preach to them. 
instruction and correction. And he's trying to convict their heart. And the Bible says that they plugged their ears and they began to stone him. And as they're plummeting in with the stones, I don't know if he lost all feeling. I don't know because he's still talking. I mean, he's still praying. If I was being plummeted with stones, I, I don't know. I'd lose my breath. I don't know if I could talk. But this guy, he's like the Energizer Bunny. Or he's still going, man. He's still preaching to them. They're plummeting with stones. And he's still preaching his heart out to them. And he's still preaching conviction. But they've got their ears closed. And as they're plummeting in with stones... They cannot hear. The Bible said they drowned out the voice of the man of God. They drowned it out. See, where they could only hear themselves. Oh, isn't that a picture of some people? They only hear their own voice. They only hear their own words. They don't hear the word of the, uh, of the man of God anymore. They've drowned him out. And they can only hear themselves. And they can only hear what they're saying. And he's trying his best to preach conviction to them. And the, and the chapter winds up, and we know the end of the story Before he takes his last breath, he utters these words. Lay not this sin to their charge. He fell asleep. Now I give you my whole point to that story. Is the Holy Ghost quickened me. He said the tragic thing about this. Was that was the great, besides Calvary, this was the greatest display of grace in Scripture from a man who wasn't God in flesh. And it was the greatest display of grace. It was the greatest message of grace that could ever be preached when he said, Lay not this sin to their charge. As they're stoning him, they're stoning him. They hated him. They foamed at the mouth. They were, they were angry and they're stoning him. And he says that. And here's what the Holy Ghost quickened me. And this is what I want to tell you tonight, this, this afternoon. As the Holy Ghost said tragically, nobody heard it. was recorded by Luke in Acts because the Holy Ghost nobody could tell him that that's what he said because nobody heard it how do I know process of deduction they had closed their ears to the message of instruction and correction and Jesus spoke to me and said if you close your ears to the message of instruction and correction You cannot receive the message of grace. I pray God open the ears of every person in this place. Don't close your ears to the message of instruction and correction. Because right behind that, there's a message of grace. They didn't just stone him, but they shut their ears from his message. And nobody heard what he said. Because the message of grace cannot penetrate your heart. Unless you're open to the message of instruction and correction. Everybody wants the message of grace. Everybody wants the message of grace. But nobody wants to, to receive the message of instruction. But they are a package. They come together. They are one message. And if you reject one, you reject the other. You will not receive it. You can't receive grace unless you receive the instruction. You ought to be on your feet all over this building. The music can come. I'm sorry I didn't have you shouting. I'm sorry I didn't have you celebrating at the end of this. But God wants to do a work right now in somebody's life. 
Somebody, please open your ears. Somebody open your ears. God really wants to to offer you grace. But it comes packaged with direction and instruction for your life. It's time to silence your own voice and open your ears to the man of God. down to that last scripture lay not the sin to their charge you can stone me but don't close your ears you can be angry but don't close your ears there's a message of grace right behind the instruction. and wasted grace. Grace went to waste that day. Grace went to waste that day because of deaf ears. It went like a fleeting wind. It just, it was offered. Nobody heard because their ears were closed. 